Welcome to Exploring Possibility. I'm your host, Christopher Giel, and with this show, my mission is to empower you. I want to inspire those who have forgotten their true worth, their highest potential, and their ultimate capability. I'll be exploring topics that are aimed towards personal growth to help you gain insight and approach life with new perspectives. I want you to increase your impact and help you live a more fulfilling life because limited thinking equals limited being. Let the show begin. Hi there and welcome to Exploring Possibility. This is episode number nine. So just firstly, welcome to all the new listeners out there and welcome to the show. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, this is that opportunity for you to do that right now. Subscribe onto the show so you don't miss out on any new episodes coming out in the future. And then for those that have been listening all this time and have been with me week in, week out, I just want to sincerely thank you for spending time with me and listening to the show and interacting with me. I just absolutely love the engagement and I love speaking to all of you out there to see what you guys like and what you don't like. So the other call to action this morning would be Facebook community. We have a Facebook community and that's a community that I'm starting and trying to grow so we can interact and dive a little deeper into the topics that we discuss every week. Yeah, you can ask the questions, you can recommend topics and we can speak about future guests that you want to see and have on the show. And I'm basically just creating this platform for us to collaborate and support one another towards, you know, growth. That's the absolute destination is constant and never ending growth. But yeah, having said that, let's jump into my guest for this show. His name is Paul Nyamuda. And wow, we had a awesome chat. Awesome, awesome chat. And I'm what's so grateful to have Paul come on the show. He's he's widely known as an expert in leadership and then also in emotional intelligence. He's also a or an organizational psychologist who's researched extensively on the subject of leadership development and also personal success, something that I'm absolutely drawn towards. And his passion is basically unlocking the greatness in individuals, also in teams, and then finally in organizations where he puts it all together. He really has this very dynamic gift for targeting real issues and then providing practical solutions to those issues. He's spoken on leadership and related issues in South Africa, Swaziland, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Zambia, Kenya, and many other African um, countries, and also the USA. He's also done some some talks there as well. So coupled with this, Paul has also authored 35 books on leaderships and related topics. That is just mind-blowing. Like, I don't know where he gets the time. And you'll actually see me, uh, I'll note that in the interview, I'll note that he's got so many books in his library and I'll ask him a question on that as well. He does so many other things. So he's also spoken on national radio and TV on leadership. He hosts retreats, uh, marriage breakfasts, and he's also the host of the Saving Our Marriage on SABC3. He's also the founder and pastor or senior pastor rather of the Go Christian Churches and yeah, he's, he's got so many resources and information that I want to share with you today. And the main thing that stood out from Paul for me was when I visited his website, it said, 
transform your thinking. And this is a phrase that he firmly believe, believes in and lives out daily in his life. And that is what I will be questioning him about in this episode. He inspires people. He inspires leaders across the globe. He, he just pushes them beyond their limitations and helps them to overcome the challenges that first seem impossible. You know, and that is a mission that resonates so deeply with me. And it's an, it's an objective that is embedded into this show, as many of you know who are listening. So, yeah, having that out of the way, you know who we're going to chat to today. Let's dive into this episode and see what we were able to discuss. Just briefly, you'll, you'll see that we chatted about why we need to transform our think, thinking, um, how we put our vision into practical steps. We spoke about leadership and why we need to work on that. What is emotional intelligence and how do we empower ourselves when we are stuck in our own programming? Let's get to it. I actually wanted to start off, uh, obviously, just by saying welcome to the show. But then initially, I wanted to ask the question, like, how has the world treated you this week? But then I came to realize that you have a super like higher level of awareness and that you have this ability to to know and identify that our experience of the world actually sits with us so therefore i'm going to ask you how have you been treating the world this week (laughs) (laughs) i can see that you've heard you've heard me speak about that before (laughs) you know it's so so true um chris whenever people ask me and i've been doing this for the last 11 years, whenever people ask me the question, um, Paul, how's life treating you? I say to them, I'm treating it well, thank you. Uh, 2010, we moved from uh, four ways and went to and came here to Centurion. And people say, Paul, how's Centurion treating you? I'm treating it well, thank you. Been married for almost 17 years. Paul, how's married life treating you? I'm treating it well, thank you. Because my mindset is this, the influence I have on the world around me is bigger than it has on me. I think that's the mindset of powerful people. And we're all powerful. Some of us know it, other people don't know it, you know. Um, I find it interesting how I can be sitting in traffic, crawling in traffic, 5Ks an hour, going into Santon or somewhere, and late for a client. But I've made a decision that I'm a joyful person, you know. I'm not going to give the traffic power over my mood, right. But I look at a lot of people and when they go to that open plan scenario at work, the first thing they ask is, what mood is your boss in today? What, is, what mood is the boss in today? And if he's in a bad mood, then they spend the rest of the day um, trading on eggshells, you know? And I say, no, don't give someone else's weakness power over your emotional state. So that's my mindset. So today, I'm treating today well. That is such a fascinating and empowering perspective to have on the world. And I hope more people can see the world like that because they will only, it will only be to their advantage at the end of the day. So I know your surname, uh, which is Namuda, right? Means yes. Thanks for saying it nicely. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> it means one who loves all others. So on that on that yes. note, um, has that been true for you? And have you basically been living in congru- congruence with that meaning? Powerful question. <laughs> Often when I talk about my name and I say it means one who loves all others. Um, That's where it I, stops. <laughs> I haven't thought about that. You know, like. Am I actually doing it? It's definitely one of my goals. I believe that love is the antithesis of fear. So love drives out fear and it's extremely powerful. In fact, uh, I was just reflecting on that today. It's extremely powerful. 
So when you show love to someone, it drives out the fear you have of that particular individual. And if you look at a lot of uh, the racism, the xenophobia, uh, a lot of it is people's fear. You know, fear arrests love. Love casts out fear. Um, a lot of times we are avoiders of people that we fear. You know, uh, one of my latest books is on diversity. And I talk about that. Um, that one of the reasons there's a lot of prejudice around us is because of fear. So we end up fearing what we don't know. And then we avoid what we fear. But love deals with that. So I try. <laughs> you try. <laughs> sometimes it's tough love. When it comes to my kids, sometimes it's <laughs> tough love. That's awesome. So another thing that stood out about uh, you for me is that you seem to carry yourself and you seem to express yourself and um, like in such a, uh, an empowering way. And the message that you bring with that uh, is that I realize that you firmly believe in the transformation begins in the mind, right? And once I got onto your website previously, I, the first notable thing that you see is transform your thinking. And I just want you to quickly take us on through, like, why is that your message? And where, where did it all start for you? That's awesome. Thank you for asking that. You know, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, if I'm doing a workshop, I often give this example. I say to the people, if a lady walks in who's been abused by guys, treated badly by guys and so on, walks into the room, and then I say to her, you're going to work with Chris now. She might say, no, 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 give me Susie over there. I'm like, What's wrong with Chris? He's such a gentleman. And she might say, no, Paul, all men are dogs. Now, my question is, are all men dogs? I know some people think so. Some people think, Paul, you know what? Just depends what type of dog. Some are huskies, some are chihuahuas, and so on. But not all men are dogs. But why, did, why would she say that? She would say that because of her experiences. So we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Okay? Uh, if you look at people who've had traumatic experiences, the way, the way trauma works, okay, is that we have a series of thoughts that are embedded because of our emotional state at the time of the trauma. So what, that, what those emotions do, they're like the glue. And they join up all our thoughts and those thoughts become beliefs. And so we then have to go through a process called belief repatterning. Like there's a lady called Susie Casey who's written a brilliant book called belief repatterning. And that's where through affirmations, through things you say about yourself with passion, you begin to undo those neural pathways in your brain that have been going in one direction and going to another. That's one of the reasons I love asking people questions they've never been asked before. When you ask someone a question that they've never been asked before, you get them to think about things they've never thought of before. When someone thinks about something they've never thought of before, they end up saying things they've never said before. And because your tongue is a rudder in your life, shaping the direction you go, uh, when you say things you've never said before, you end up doing things you've never done before. So our thinking affects our behavior. And basically we live out our self-concept. So if I believe I'm a cow, when you go off and have nice afternoon tea from here, I'll go and look for grass to eat, right? You even see this with your subordinates in the workplace, your teammates in the workplace. You see, you see, people become how they are seen by authority figures whom they respect and admire after five years. 
So if you've got someone working under you and they submit some work to you and you say, you know what, this is not you. You haven't given me your best, right? Go back and work on it again. If you keep doing that, after some time, they live out your expectations of them, you see. So as, as leaders, we've, we play a role in helping people to see themselves differently and to think differently by, by our expectations of them and by the questions we ask them. Okay. So yeah, definitely uh, a lot of stuff is in the mind. Even if you are the type of person who says things like, I don't remember names. I'm not good with names. You know, the way your subconscious mind works, is like a little man in your basement. And the moment you say, I don't remember names, I'm not good with names. That little man in the basement goes to the section of your brain that remembers names and literally shuts that down. We don't remember names around here. Boom, done. But if, you, if I say, you know what? I'm growing in my memory when it comes to names. My dad is John. My mom is Rosemary. My brothers are Dave, James, and Will. And my name is Paul, right? That little man in my basement, my subconscious mind, goes to the section of my brain that remembers names and says, oh, we're growing in our memory. And that's how it works. Right. Yeah. I've also found that uh, typically when we have uh, some sort of belief, then our subconscious, as you mentioned it, will go out and find the situations, the people, the ideas, and all of that to affirm and confirm that to us, that that is exactly. actually the case. And that is such a sad case sometimes if you're not aware and if you don't have the consciousness about what you are thinking. And typically you can see that also or how I've seen it is I can see in my behavior what my subconscious is telling me. I can say, okay, right. That's what's going on in the back end of you know, my, my, my thoughts at this point. I was going to just comment on that and just say what you're saying is so, so true. That's why in sales, you know, I teach quite a bit on sales and I say to people, if you believe you're a million rand a month person in terms of how much you bring in for your company as a salesperson, right? That's what you believe. If the following month you bring in 1.5 million, what will you bring in in the third month? And many people swear 1.5 or two. I say to them, no, you'll bring in 500,000, okay? Because you always live up to your self-concept. So you want to balance it. Because when you brought in 1.5, you thought it's a fluke month. So the trick is to always then say, you know what, if I can bring in 1.5 this month, maybe I can stretch it next month. And then you start seeing yourself differently. So it actually affects everything uh, that we do, our self-concept, you know, and your subconscious mind doesn't distinguish between fact and fantasy. That's why you can be watching a scary movie. I don't know why people do that, but you can be watching a scary movie and you know in your head that this is fiction, okay? I, you can see this guy who is acting, he acted in that movie I watched, that comedy I watched two weeks ago. But because of the sounds, because of the visuals you're seeing, what happens? Nowadays, it's hot. You go and you sleep. Your windows are open. The wind is blowing your curtain. And you're thinking that thing is, is going to jump in, you know, because your subconscious didn't distinguish between fact and fantasy. So if I'm always telling myself, like I did back in 2004 when I wrote out my affirmations, I would write out things like, I'm grateful that my material, my books have gone on to influence the African continent. I was saying it in present tense, 2004. I only did my first book in 2005. But at a subconscious level, in seed form, that's who I was. And I embraced it. Let's quickly jump onto that while we're there. Because I think it's mm -hmm. very important um, to have a vision, um, to know where you're going, and to set up the goals that will take you there. But I feel that we sometimes get stuck. Like you'll have this vision, 
and and it's rather it's a fantasy you know you you're just daydreaming almost how how did you manage to put that into the steps that it were necessary to take you there that's so powerful um chris i think the first thing is how i define uh goals you know a goal is a dream with a deadline so if someone comes to me and says paul i want to lose weight that's not a goal that's a wish okay that's a wish. But if they come to me and they say, Paul, you know what? I'm enlisting Chris to be my personal trainer. I heard that he does trail running and that kind of thing. And I want him to help me. And then I also want to make myself accountable to you, Paul. Can you be my coach? And then I also have a particular friend who's a dietitian, And I think she will help me. And then my goal, Paul, is that by 2020 in June, end of June 2020, I would have lost seven kgs because X is my ideal weight. That's now a goal with an action plan. And that's what I love to share with people. You know, there's a story, you might've heard it before, and there are different renditions of the story, but that in 1953 or so, uh, there was a graduate class in one of the top universities in the United States. And the people were asked, how many of you have got a goal, have got written down goals with an action plan? Only three hands went up, only three hands out of the entire, graduate class, only three hands went up. 20 years later, they were interviewed, the whole class. And guess what they found? Those three guys who had written down their goals with action plans, it was just quite amazing. Um, they basically were more were happier and more fulfilled than the balance of the class. And you say to me, Paul, how do you measure that? How do you measure happiness? It's something you can measure, and that's net worth. The net worth of those three people was greater than the combined net worth of the balance of the class. And that's the power of goal setting. They actually say when you write down your goals, you're 10 times more likely to accomplish them than when you just wish them. And I think for me, it's been, it's been that. I think another aspect has been uh, the way I, I say my affirmations. The thing about affirmations is they need to be said in present tense. So if I if I'd read out my affirmations to you, you'll notice that I say, I am this. I am that. I'm not saying I will hopefully one day be this unless the government changes its mind on this and this. When you put it in the future, you're actually disconnecting from it. The other thing about my affirmations is they're personal. So I use the term I. I actually am comfortable saying I. A lot of times people shy away from that. They think they're being arrogant. They use the royal we. You know, when someone has a business and it's a one-man show, you say, how are you guys doing? How are you doing? No, we are fine. We are fine. They shy away from I. Nothing wrong with saying I. Um, the other thing is I would say my things with passion, my affirmations with passion, because you see um, the incorrect thinking in my mind was glued there by emotions, okay, by mild trauma. So to make it unstick, I have to be extremely passionate. So I speak with passion about who I am, right? And I think that's also important. Another thing I've been big on is visualizing. Athletes do it, but very often when we train up people to visualize how they want to be, to visualize the best version of themselves, they can be resistant to it, but we're always visualizing. Our problem is we visualize the negative. So if someone says to me, Paul, I know my boss is mad with me. I know tomorrow is going to blame me for this and this and this. I can tell you right now, he's visualizing. He's visualizing his boss basically saying it was your fault. If his boss is shorter than him, it was your fault. Okay? Uh, and... I always say to people, you know what? You can visualize positive stuff. 
sometimes I'll handle a situation very calmly. And people say, Paul, you're so calm there. What happened? You know what I want to say back to them? I want to say back to them, you know what? I was just pressing the replay button of a video I'd been watching over and over again. So I get myself to see it happened. And I also get myself into the emotional state that I want to be in. So often when I'm preparing for my workshops, my seminars, my you know keynote speeches, etc., I literally will get myself into the emotional state that I want to be in when I'm actually doing the particular talk. I definitely agree with, with all of them. Um, although I find it very tough to sometimes sit down and actually do them. And I think a lot of it comes to self-responsibility, being able to say that I am responsible for all of my outcomes. And therefore, like you said, you have to take a goal and put a deadline down. You have to put out the steps that will take you there. You have to visualize. You have to, and also Tony Robbins calls this um, incantations where you use your entire body. You know, you just, I don't know why it works, but it seems to change up our entire body language. And yeah, so what I mentioned just now is a self-responsibility. So I think part of that is being able to to lead yourself. And you, you just touched on leadership a little bit earlier, and I know that you've got a lot of expertise on, on leadership. So my question, my next question to you would be like, what is a leader in your opinion? And why should everyone that's listening be working on their leadership skills? That's really awesome. So I'll answer it backwards and, and just say uh, we should work on our leadership skills because leadership is not something fixed. You know, some people say, are leaders born or are leaders developed? They're developed. Okay, because someone can have natural leadership skills, but they still need to work on them. Someone might not be a natural leader, but they do what leaders do, you know, and leaders come in different shapes and sizes. There's no one personality for leaders. Okay, you have charismatic personalities. You have a lot of leaders that are introverts. Okay, so leaders do certain things just in the same way as you can learn to be an accountant. You can learn to be a pilot. You can learn to be a bus driver. You can also learn to be a leader. Okay, so leaders do certain things and we can develop ourselves with regards to leadership. Now, what's in, what's in essence a leader? Well, if you say to me, Paul, I'm a leader. The first question I'm going to ask you is where are you going? If you look at the Latin word for lead, it actually also means to go. Okay, so anyone who says to me, Paul, I'm a leader. I'm asking, where are you going? In other words, you can't talk about leadership without talking about vision. You know, where are you going? Napoleon Bonaparte once said, leaders are dealers in hope. Leaders are able to look around the corner and say, guys, it's a bit misty here, but just hang out with me, stick with me, and you'll be fine. They're mm-hmm. dealers in hope. You're always giving people hope and saying, it'll be okay, just stick with me. So first question I'll ask you is, where are you going? Next question I'll ask you is, who's following you? Because by definition, leaders have to have followers, okay? Um, someone once said, you know, you have those leaders them or they think they're leaders, but they're not really. They say it's my way or the highway, shape up or ship out. But there's an old Chinese proverb that says, if you think you're leading people, but no one is following you, you're merely taking a walk. Okay. And uh, F.D. Roosevelt once said, one of the saddest experiences a leader can go through is to think he's leading people. And one day he turns around and sees, oh, nobody. No one is following him. Right. Um, so I'll ask you where you're going and who's following you. Now, in order to get people to follow you, study those people. Someone once said, leaders understand the norms of their followers, right? Because the reason why Chris will follow me, it's not the same reason why 
Dave will follow me. And it's not the same reason why James will follow me. Okay. So uh, I have to find out what flicks your switch. And then I have to create an environment where you become self-motivated. Many people think leaders motivate people. They don't really. Leaders create an environment where people become self-motivated. Last thing I'll say about leadership is leadership is about empowering people. It's not about having weak followers. In fact, great leaders become unnecessary because you take people to another level. You cause people to do great things. You unlock greatness in people, you see. Uh, and that's the power of leadership. Sadly, when it comes to power, a lot of people have a zero-based view of power. So if I believe I've got 10 units of power and you've got zero units, I then have a mindset that says, if I give you two units, I'm down to eight and you're up to two. If I give you another two, you are now up to four and I'm down to six. I can't give you any more units of power because we'll be equal or you would have overtaken me, right? But there's what we call the reciprocal nature of power. I empower you to empower me to empower you, okay? And the more power I give away, the more powerful people are now around mm -hmm. me. And I become better because of you. That's the mindset of um, the reciprocal nature of power. And that's true leadership. Yeah, that last bit that you mentioned, it sounds like it's got like a stack on effect, which is actually quite beautiful. And that, that's mm. how I think community can also grow if we just stand together and lead others. And then they lead us and we sort of mirror each other as we go <clears throat> to the top together. I just want to take what you just yeah. said last and quickly apply it to social media because this, this idea just popped into my mind. How do, how do we then see someone that's on social media with a million followers, but they're doing nothing? How would, you, how would you define them? Because let's say we've got a person there, they've got a million people following them, but they're doing nothing. Are they leaders because they have got a bunch of followers? And this is specifically to social media. How do we view them? I think my whole thing is a lot of people live in a place of powerlessness. They don't realize the power they actually have, right? But here's the interesting thing. You can have a whole lot of followers on social media, right? But here's the thing. Not making a decision is a decision in itself, okay? If you've got a lot of people that admire you and look up to you, even if you're not saying much to them, right? You're still leading them some way. You could be leading them to nowhere, if that makes sense. Okay. So you can either live by design or by default. So with many of us, we're saying something. So we're living by design, right? We're very intentional in what we're doing. There are other people, they're famous. So they've got lots of followers. But by default, those people are following that person's lifestyle, for example. Okay. So a lot of people are leading people by default through what they're modeling. And sadly, it's not often a good thing. <laughs> that typically shows me how lost some, some people are. Um, if I do see that, you know, if, if some person that is not truly a leader in my eyes or don't even see their own power, the amount of followers they have, that shows something about community. It shows something about our nation. It shows something about humanity at the end of the day. So it's actually quite a, an amazing yeah. um, outside view to scope those, those types of things. I've previously heard you say that leaders uh, who change how they see themselves open up potential for growth that is phenomenal. So what do you mean by that? Do you mean that, is, does that take us back to uh, that a leader should have vision? Yeah. So a leader should have vision, but not just vision for themselves, but vision for growth 
of other people. You know, if you study st servant leadership, it was popularized by a guy called Robert Greenleaf. And one of the key questions there is, uh, of a servant leader is this, the people that I'm serving through my leadership, have they grown as people? Okay, so the goal of a leader isn't just getting results through people. The goal of a leader is helping people to grow. But one of the key ways you do it is you have a vision for them too, right? So you're continuously saying to them, but you can do more. I see greatness in you, you know? That's not you, there's more in you. If one of my kids, I've got three boys, and if one of them isn't doing well at school, they tend to do very well, but if they slip in terms of their marks, the approach isn't so much bad, 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 naughty, naughty, naughty. The approach I have is, Daniel, this is not you, you know? It's not you, it's not the Daniel I know. These aren't the marks you usually get. What am I doing? I'm showing that I'm surprised when your marks dip. And uh, we've got so much power because people always look up to us as leaders. So how we carry ourselves is crucial. In fact, someone once said, um, consciously, I teach what I know, but unconsciously, I pass on who I am. So the moment you walk into uh, your office, people are watching you and you're passing on stuff. You know, even at home, for those of us who are parents, you know, a lot of us, we're so brilliant in the workplace. We dress nicely, talk nicely. We give the best to our clients. But if we're honest with ourselves, the people we say we love the most, very often we're giving them our leftovers, our leftovers physically, our leftovers emotionally, our leftovers intellectually. And that's because we're good at preparing to go to work. But a lot of us are not good at preparing to go back home afterwards. You see, when I get onto the highway and I'm driving back home, guess what? I have to put my husband cap on. I have to put my put on my uh, dad cap on because I'm going into that other environment because I'm conscious of the fact that I'm not just a leader at work. I'm also a leader at home. Awesome. Thank you for that insight. I'm actually having a look at your library behind you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how the hell do you retain all of that information? <laughs> You're assuming, you're assuming I've read all the books. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a collector. No, um, I do love books. I don't always read the books cover to cover. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes you start reading a book and you can see that, okay, this guy is well-read and is drawing from that other person, you know, and this other person. But because I write a lot and I teach a lot, I have to be a reader. I always say to people, leaders are readers. And one of the things that's so sad for me is you look at places like, you know, in Soweto at Maponya Mall. I don't know if you know, but I think ex exclusives closed down there. Exclusive books closed down. Music, wow. I understand, is still there. Because the people in Soweto still want their music, you know? <laughs> but are they reading? <laughs> it's not happening, you know? And, you know, one of the saddest things I've heard, saddest statements, they say, how do you hide something from an African? Put it in a book, you know? <laughs> so we don't have a reading culture. Um, so one of my sons reads a lot and I'm very impressed with him. We're still working on the other two. So leaders are readers. Uh, it's great when we can listen to audio books. Um, if you live in Houting, like I do, we in traffic, uh, for most of the day, three hours a day or so we in traffic. Right. And I say to people, if you're up and down from work all day, um, by the end of the year, when you do the maths, that's more than an MBA of listening time, you know, can be listening to uh, your podcast, Chris, um, can be listening to uh, audio books and just learning so much. Good advice. Very, very, very good advice. I think for everyone listening, 
take take the time that you have available on places like or in places like the car for instance or when you're just walking yeah. around and pop a, pop the influence in and you know study study learn um in order to grasp new learnings and get new perspectives and do what we're doing now is discussing new potentials for for empowering ourselves and empowering the people around us so i think that's a crucial tip is to is to utilize those uh, opportunities i would say and not just to say that i don't have any time but take a step back look at your life and decide where those moments are and optimize on them you know what chris your personal development your personal development is the best gift you can give the people around you you know if i've got anger issues if i read up on how to deal with anger and so on it's the best gift i can give the people around me if i struggle with time management studying it learning about it the best gift i can give people around me the problem with us as human beings is we don't keep appointments with ourselves you see it's easier for me to say sorry guys i can't meet you right now i've got a meeting with chris because i respect chris so i won't cancel on him, right but how many times can we say to people sorry i cannot meet with you i need some me time sorry i cannot meet with you i'm reading that book that paul recommended you know but my personal development is actually the best gift i can give the people around me so to grow in our learning we have to identify what are my gaps right so maybe i'm not confident okay that's a gap so what's my growth step i need to work on my assertiveness right i need to work on being a courageous leader right what's my learning plan as a result of that oh and what my, what are my sources of learning i'm going to read that book that paul recommended i'm going to listen to that podcast of um of chris's i'm going to get mentorship from that particular person i'm going to go on this course on assertiveness and i'm going to keep appointments with myself in order to close that gap and and that's so powerful let's quickly jump onto that because i think it's crucial uh if if you're on that stage where you need to now decide you've allocated your time and now you're in that position where you need to find your source of learning how do you go about that because you could read a book like you said you can get a coach uh, you can do audiobooks you can go there to get a degree obviously depending on where what your goal is and where you're going but yeah once you identify your source of learning what do you how do you know what's right for you okay so i think what's so important is looking at demonstrated success asking yourself in the past what have i learned all right so what did i used to struggle with and how have i grown right so maybe you didn't know how to cook but now you've learned to cook then you ask yourself well how did i do that oh i got someone who's better than me to help me because i'm a tactile learner okay i'm a kinesthetic learner i need to actually be doing it and that works for me so that type of self awareness is awesome or you might say no i went to those lectures and i just listened to that great chef and i can pick up a lot paul because i'm strong when it comes to auditory learning you see and some people are strong in terms of that okay other people are visual learners and they will read or they will watch videos they'll watch youtubes okay i know someone who's recently just learned how to knit through watching youtubes one of my sons stopped having guitar lessons but he carried on just watching youtubes and just fiddling around with the guitar right so we've got different learning styles there's no one set way so when we find ourselves in like difficult and uh just circumstances where we feel that we are struggling then we we possibly lack in the area of 
I think you mentioned it earlier, but emotional intelligence. And I think that's also one of your expertise. So this next question mm-hmm. is going to be directed to that. So for mm-hmm. firstly, for those of us that have never heard of emotional intelligence, please just let us know what, what that is. And then second part of that mm-hmm. question is to say, how does uh, emotional intelligence affect our lives and perhaps the lives of others? Okay. I think uh, when emotional intelligence was developed as a science, as an art, I think it was so powerful because in the past we focused on IQ, right? And being book smart. But one of the things I say to smart people, I was doing a workshop some time back and I challenged some smart people from an organization. I basically said to them, do you know what the problem with you guys is, with smart people, is that's all you are rewarded for when you're growing up. So you passed your degrees, cum laude, you uh, got the science prize at school, the maths prize at school, and you came up with a misbelief, fancy word for a lie. You came up with a misbelief and your misbelief was my smartness alone will get me to the top. But then you soon realize that that's not true. I said, my concern is you'll be overtaken by people who've got the other stuff. What's the other stuff? Resilience, assertiveness, people skills, emotional intelligence. Okay. Um, If you're only book smart and if you're only high on IQ, unfortunately, the problem is you become what's known as the brilliant jerk. And the brilliant jerk in the workplace is that person who's really smart. That's why they got the job. But unfortunately, no one wants to work with them. Okay. So when we talk about emotional intelligence, there are four or five major pillars of it. The first pillar of emotional intelligence is what we call emotional self-awareness. It's where I'm in tune with myself and I'm able to say, I feel angry. I felt insecure yesterday in that meeting. I feel frustrated. I felt belittled when you said that to me. Okay. And that's so powerful, especially when you're now giving other people feedback, right? So that's the first part. And linked to it is understanding the impact my emotional state has on the people around me. So when Paul feels angry, how is he conscious of how that's impacting people around him? Are people treading on eggshells around him? Okay. The second aspect, second dimension to emotional intelligence is what we call emotional management or emotional containment. See, you can feel angry. Two different people can feel angry, but one of them knows how to contain it. And the other person doesn't know how to manage their anger. That's also emotional intelligence. Okay. The third dimension is an aspect of social intelligence. Okay. Which is empathy or social awareness. You see, I can be aware that I feel insecure right? But am I aware that, oh, when I spoke to Chris yesterday, he wasn't quite himself, right? That's being aware of other people. And that's to do with empathy. Empathy is such a powerful word. It comes from an interesting Latin word, em and pathos, meaning feeling into, being able to wear someone else's moccasins. And there are actually three types of empathy. First type is emotional empathy, which is, I feel you. So if you say, Paul, I've got a migraine, I'm like, oh, where's it so? Is it above your eyes or behind your head? Oh, man, Chris, how'd you carry on doing an interview and you've got a migraine? Okay, that's, I feel you. The second type of empathy is cognitive empathy. Because I get you. And that's very powerful. You know, and you communicate that through active listening. If I say to you, who's your best friend? You'll give me a name. Then I'll say to you, why are they your best friend? You'll probably say, Paul, he gets me. You know, Paul, I don't have to pretend when I'm around him. You know, he gets me right? You communicate it through active listening. It's where I can say, ah, Chris, being you, I know why you reacted that way. Ah, no, I see where you're coming from. I'm not saying I agree with you, but I follow your logic. 
Okay. The third type of empathy is empathic concern. And empathic concern is basically, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. So you do something about your empathy. So if you've got a migraine, I might say, okay, here's a panado, right? Here's an aspirin. So there was a time when my wife was not feeling too well. And she said to me, my love, I'm not feeling well. I showed the empathic concern because I was like, cool, I'm going to cover for you. I'll sort out the kids. I'll do the dinner. I'll do A, B, C, D. But later on, she said to me, my love, I don't know if you really understand how I'm feeling. I've got this thing sitting on my head. And she went into detail describing how she was feeling. So, of course, I got defensive because I'm like, of course, I understand how you're feeling. That's why I was doing A, B, C, D, E, right? But because I understood this principle, I was able to say to her, you know what's happening? I'm showing you empathic concern, but what you re really need right now is emotional empathy. So that's the third dimension of emotional intelligence. Then the fourth dimension of it is basically relationship management. You see, I can be like, oh, Chris is not quite himself today. And so I just keep my distance and I don't know what to do. But with relationship management, I can say, you know what, when Chris is like this, he's stressed out and he actually just needs some water to drink. When Chris is like this, he needs a space. When Chris is like this, he needs my company and he just needs someone to talk to. That's relationship management. You see, uh, when you're strong on those pillars, it's amazing. As, as you're talking, I'm like seeing my own, you know, I'm having my own stories in my own head from past experiences. <laughs> and I think <laughs> there's actually been some great relationship advice. So for those of you that have partners that are listening, yeah, go, go listen to that part again. I think it's crucial that you sort of combine all those three forms of empathy and see which one you want to use in which situation. Because I find myself also having to use the wrong one. <laughs> Typically part <laughs> three or version three of that. Um, where I just, you know, <laughs> empathetic concern. I'm like, these are the steps that we'll take to sort this out or to help <laughs> instead of uh, just going, I get you, you know, or I feel you, which is a little bit more passive, but understanding anyway. And I yes. think a lot of, yeah, a lot of women enjoy just having the ears <laughs> ready to, to listen to the issue. So next <laughs> up, if we condition the mind and the body to respond to the to the world uh to the outer world what wh what do you call that is that part of eq where how you respond how you display yourself is that part of emotional intelligence it is it is it is specifically to do with emotional containment or emotional management um i was doing some work for an organization recently and the ceo a particular lady said Guys, I don't understand millennials, you know, tell me something. Do you guys just roll out of bed and pitch up at work? You know, just tell me, because don't you see how I arrive at work and you see me spending a few minutes in my vehicle? You know, I'm going through my process because I'm so conscious of how I show up. So I'm getting ready in terms of how I'm going to show up. Now they do that in sport. You know, my wife is a triathlete. They do that as they prepare for their races. That's mental conditioning. But we don't do that in everyday life. You know, uh, a question I like to ask people is, um, when was the last time you used this phrase? She just drives me up the wall. And then some hands go up. Then I say, or oh, he just drives me up the wall. Then usually more hands go up. Okay. But the point is, I ask people, does he actually place you on top of his bonnet and physically drive you up the wall? No, it doesn't. You end up up the wall because you were reacting, not responding. So when you understand that you're a powerful person and you can actually choose how you're going to respond, 
not react. You choose how you're going to respond. Amazing what happens. But it's all about preparation. It's all about conditioning yourself. And you mentioned earlier on what Tony Robbins talks about, about getting your whole body involved in things. The reality is that your body language actually affects your emotional state. You know, know that it's been found that um, when someone smiles, you smile because you're feeling happy. But you know that even if I'm not feeling happy and I do this, I take this pen and I do this and I force myself to smile, what I'm doing on the outside is affecting my inside. You see, when someone finishes a race and they see that they've won or they've broken the record, what do they do? They raise their hands like this. Okay. Even people born blind doing that, do that. They've never seen someone else doing it, but instinctively they do that. And when you raise your hands like this, guess what, what happens in your inside? You actually have a higher level of testosterone, which is your power hormone. Your power hormone goes up and cortisol, which is your stress hormone, goes down. But when we're waiting for an interview or we're about to meet with a senior stakeholder, what do we tend to do? You know, we sort of shrink back and so on. Cortisol, your stress hormone then goes up and testosterone actually goes down. I'm not saying the next time you meet a senior stakeholder, you must be like, oh, I'm powerful, I'm powerful, I'm powerful. But there are all sorts of things you can do in the bathroom beforehand by the start of your day. So our body language is so, so important. It's such vital information that we can just apply in our everyday life. And it's very practical yeah. to use. And it does actually happen. I've actually felt it myself. The, the, the moment there was actually a YouTube video that went like sort of viral when this woman, I can't recall her name now, but she explained the science behind, you know, using your body and doing like the, the power, um, what's it, Wonder Woman pose, you know, with the <laughs> chest I know there's out. a famous one, Amy Cuddy. There's a talk by Amy Cuddy on that. I've also done one. I was first inspired by her. And then, oh, okay. Yeah, I also, I also did something, yeah. Yeah, so then it's Amy Cuddy that I'm referring mm. to where I think she spoke mm. about the Wonder Woman pose. And when I go to different conferences or seminars and stuff, typically we, we're like very shy when you get that you don't know anyone. So you sort of, you know, you just float around. And then I decided like after that video, I'm like, there's a different way I can do this. Let me try this. Let me apply this. And, and I did like in the elevator, I was like, you know, hands up or hands on the, on the sides and chest out. And it does actually yes. work. It made me feel, it changed, it changed. It actually, what it did with me, it changed my state in that moment. Yes. And when my state yes. was changed, I felt more confident. I just felt happier. I felt more approachable. I felt more, you know, um, affable. So I don't know. I just felt like I was able to, I was, I was in the state uh, that empowered me to go and speak to someone more easily than yes. I would have before. And Chris, you know what happens? A lot of people become friends with fear. So fear becomes a part of them. They embrace it as a part of their personality. You know, oh, you know, I'm always anxious in those situations. Like, oh, I'm not a good speaker. You know, I'm feeling very, very nervous right now. No, Paul, that's just not me. I'm not like you guys, you know. But when you do what you've just described, right, and you keep practicing it, that becomes your new normal. And the moment fear tries to grip you, that becomes an unusual emotion. And it's easier for you to literally toss it out. Whenever you have a negative emotion that you're feeling, it actually takes five doses of positive emotion to flush out that negative one. You know, So perfect practice makes perfect. So true. Do you feel that fear holds us back from achieving anything in life? Definitely it does. Uh, when you study courageous leadership, you know, if you want to establish yourself as a leader in the community or in your industry, 
Find out what everyone else is afraid of and make sure that you are courageous in that area. If you study heroic leadership, how are heroes formed? A hero is someone you both admire and adore. Why do we admire them? They're ordinary people like you and me, but they had courage in an area where we were fearful, right? Courageous leaders speak out what everyone else is whispering. What is everyone too afraid to talk about? If I want to establish myself as a leader, I must speak out what everyone else is whispering. Courage is so central and key when it comes to leadership. I fully agree on that. Um, I've only seen in my own life as well. As soon as I take courage, I inspire others to do the same. And at that moment, I'm leading. And then other people can be relatable to me and they can also see now he was a, like, he's a typical normal guy, average guy, but he's taking courage and he's leading and he's inspiring. And maybe I can do the same. So you just, I think you mentioned one of the key traits that a leader should have. Are there any other two, three cornerstone traits that a leader should possess in your opinion? Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say one that isn't spoken about a lot and uh, highlighted. And I just want to highlight it. And that's vulnerability. Vulnerability. Mm. It's, it's a bit counterintuitive. You see, we always think that people want to see the strong leader who's flawless, who's got no faults. But when you study the science of likability, people tend to like you more and connect with you more when you make yourself vulnerable, right? If you think about it, you know, I often say this in, in, in the corporate world. I say to people, who do you like the most? Your favorite person in the organization. Think about that person. Is, it, is that person the best looking? Probably not. Is that person the best performer? Probably not. So why are you striving so much to be those things, Okay. When you're a leader, people just want to hear you say, me too, me too, me too. They don't want to see perfection. They want to hear you say, me too, me too, me too. You see, they want you to identify with them. Then they want you to describe how you overcame in that particular situation. I'm not saying share all your weaknesses with them, but just show them that you're also human. So vulnerability is key. Um, people buy from brands they like. People buy from brands they have an emotional connection with. And how do people connect with you? How do you build emotional intimacy with another human being? Vulnerability and empathy. Key, right? The other thing I would highlight, um, which I really want to reinforce again, is vision. Vision. Um, you know what is interesting was uh, some research was carried out, okay, by Cousez and Posner and some other people through the 80s, through the 90s, and so on. And they asked this question, what do you guys look for in leaders? What's, what's the top thing? And guess what people said? The top thing was words like authentic, words like honest, okay? Words like integrity. But you know what the second highest was? A long-range view of things. That's leadership. So it's good to get into the trenches with your people. But ultimately, if you're a leader, people want to know, where is this organization going? What will this department look like? Not tomorrow, but two years from now. And guess what? When we talk about vision, that's the thing leaders struggle with the most. If you study organizations today, you'll see that everyone is operating one tier down. So the people who are supposed to be custodians of the vision aren't focused on vision. They're focused on all the people issues, all the industrial relations issues. They're trying to figure out how can we make sure this guy doesn't take us to the labor court, okay? That's what's happening with a lot of people. Then the people who are supposed to be focusing on ops, right, are focused on the ground and technical issues. 
And the people on the ground are confused. They're like, how come you're doing my work? What am I supposed to be doing? So everyone is operating one tier down. Leaders need to lead. If, if you're supposed to be the custodian of vision, then do that. You know, uh, vision is so key. V- what I call visioneering. But very often we don't take time out to reflect, to actually think about the vision and where we're going. And by the way, if I, when it comes to vision, just quickly, when it comes to vision, if it's misty in my mind as a leader, it will be foggy in the mind of my followers. So the key thing with vision is clarity. It needs to be, vi- it needs to be vivid. It needs to be very clear. I, I do have to say, I do relate with you on all the traits that you just mentioned, almost like as a top traits, because if I think who I would follow as a leader, it would be someone that has to be courageous. It, it will be someone that has to be authentic. They completely have to be authentic. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what amount of success they have. I cannot follow them if they do not have authenticity. And then third, vision. Like if I don't, like I think you said it in the beginning of our interview that if people don't even know where they are going, how are they going to lead others? Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to follow someone, I want to know what is the vision? Where are you taking us? Where are we going? So I can, so I can climb into the same boat and, and see if I want to go to, and, you know, to the same destination. So I think it's, exactly. it's, it's beautiful traits. And I agree with all three of those that you mentioned. I think those are, they are like cornerstone. Um, just they, they need to be there. They need to be in place to create a leader. And I think leaders stem from there. Have you ever, ever heard of or read about Brene Brown? Because when you said vulnerability, I was like, Brene Brown comes to mind and her work. is brilliant. Yeah. I love her work. Yeah. yeah. And then while we're on vision, let's jump onto vision. I think vision, I can speak about this the entire day. I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. And I think it's critical to, to have a vision because without it, we struggle to focus and we struggle to make steady progress uh, towards, in my, in my case, uh, a life of purpose right? And for mm-hmm. others, a life of entrepreneurship and impact and business. And outside of this conversation, I've heard you say that vision is a picture of a preferred future and that you have to carry yourself accordingly. So can you perhaps just expand on that a little bit more so people can understand what you mean by that? And uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's got such a strong message to it. Yeah. You know, especially as a leader, we take people from A to B. You cannot talk about being a leader without talking about moving people through change. And unfortunately, one of the major reasons why a lot of lasting change doesn't happen, why a lot of change initiatives are unsuccessful, about 70% of them are unsuccessful. Uh, Unfortunately, it's because there isn't a vision to guide the change. Okay. So we are changing, but we feel like we're changing for change's sake. We feel like we're changing just because there's a new head of department who wants to try out something new, something different. So I like saying that vision is a picture of a preferred future, okay? And you can only do that if you believe that you've got the power to take people to that preferred state, okay? But the thing about vision, the way you ground it, you know, if I come to your organization, I want to know is what's written on the wall happening down the hall? Okay, because a lot of people have got things up on the wall, but they're not happening down the hall. Okay, but the way I then do that is I ask myself, how do you create culture? How do I create culture? Right, that's how you put feet to vision. Right, you create culture by what you teach, 
So if we've got a vision of a highly cohesive team, I have to teach on teamwork. I have to explain to people, this is how a great team looks. So there's a place for teaching when you're leading. Okay. Uh, the second way that I create culture is through what I model. Okay. It's through what I model. People won't do what I say. They'll do what they see me doing. That's one of the ways you put feet to your vision. If I say, touch your cheek, but I'm touching my chin. It's amazing how many people also touch their chin, okay? Because they don't do what they hear me say, they do what they see me doing, right? You also put feet to your vision by creating culture. You create culture by what you measure. If you're not measuring it, it doesn't happen. You create culture also by what you inspect. If you've got a helper at home and you say, I want you to dust the furniture, will it happen? It won't happen just because you say so. But if day one, you go and you inspect and you give him or her feedback, day two, you inspect, give him or her feedback, you might not have to do it day three or day four because you create culture by what you inspect. People don't just do what you expect. They do what you inspect, okay? Culture is also created by what you reward. Culture is also created by what you celebrate. Culture is also created by how leaders react in a crisis time, in a time of crisis. Okay, culture is created by the symbols and the artifacts in your organization. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that vision is something that's active. It's something that's living. It's something that we have to keep revisiting and we have to put each to it. So crucial. Thank you for that definition. I think it puts things into practical terms and it also puts things into perspectives in terms of grounding your vision, which I think is yes. critical. And people can apply this and every aspect of life, I think um, it also goes in with goals. Once you have that goal, your goal, your vision in front of you, put out the steps, put out the habits, put out the tasks that you need to be doing and applying and doing what you need to be doing, being who you need to be being uh, to accomplish whatever you set out for yourself. So on that note, what is your vision? My vision is basically unlocking greatness in individuals, in teams, and in organizations. That's what I want to see. I want to see their greatness unlocked. And they say that's what great leaders do. For example, Nelson Mandela, people would go and see him and think, I'm about to meet this great person. But they would come out of the meeting feeling great themselves. So if I can do that with the people around me in whatever I'm doing, if I can serve them that way, then that's amazing. You see, it's one thing to use people to accomplish your dream. It's quite another thing to serve people to help them to accomplish their dream. Beautiful. <laughs> so one of, your, one of your book titles is Redreaming, right? And uh, yes. in that you say that people stay in wish, wishful thinking, which we've spoken about, and they need to ground themselves. So I just want to know how should we re, uh, approach redreaming? Is that what we spoke about just now where you need to set out, for instance, in a business, you need to take the vision down to culture and see what needs to be done with a goal. It's uh, getting the to-do list done. It's getting the habits. It's getting you know the action plan out. Is that what you mean by redreaming or what do you mean by that? You know what? Um, when little babies are young, uh, little kids are growing up, they're dreamers. You know, my kids talk about, oh, I want to be a professional uh, soccer player and I want to do this, I want to do this. But at some point in our lives, we tend to stop dreaming. You know, life happens and, and we become fatalistic. 
you know, and we think we're being mature, but we're not really being mature. We've just become discouraged. Okay. And so when I came up with that title, I was really talking about how often life has happened, but we have second chances. And I'm saying, guys, you know what? Let's start dreaming again. You know, often I'll teach people things in my workshops and I say to them, don't worry, go back to your workplace and dream again. Say to people, you know what? We were in honeymoon period. I apologize, guys. I've learned a few things. I've got new tools now. Let's dream again. Let's go back to the drawing board. Right. And that's what it's about. Oh, that is quite beautiful. Um, getting that, getting back to like a childlike state, not childish, but like a childlike state where we mm. just dream again and, uh, on that note, typically I see myself or I've seen people also being limited uh, by society, by media, so by news, by sometimes by themselves. But we, and that sometimes have, or not sometimes, but mostly happens in our child years where we get limited mm -hmm. in terms of our beliefs. And what is your advice to people like that? If you get stuck in limited mindset, when you get, when you get, sort of programmed or conditioned at a young age and you get older, mm -hmm. what, is your, what is your piece of advice to someone stuck in that situation? Perhaps listening now, not understanding yeah. all of this, but then, you know, they, they typically go back to their own belief system or their own conditioned yeah. mind. Okay, so this is what I say to a lot of people. At a, at a certain point, you learned fear. You know that they say that uh, children are born with just two fears, the fear of falling, and the fear of loud noises, only those two, okay? Uh, the rest of the fears, we learn them. So if you're fearful, you don't want to launch out, you've been procrastinating, ask yourself the question, at what point did I learn that behavior? You know, if you stare at a child, for example, a little baby, right? You stare at a little baby, they enjoy it. Like being stared at is cool type of thing. But you know, by the time I was at junior school, we had this thing where the moment someone starts staring at you, what do you do? It's like, hey, is this yours? Hey, is this yours? Like, what are you looking at? Okay. Mm. So at what point did I learn that if someone is staring at me, it's not a great thing? Maybe they're admiring me. Maybe they like my shirt. Or, you know? But at what point did I learn that? So what I say to people is, if you can figure out where you learned that negative behavior, just go back to that place. It's possible to unlearn it. It's possible to unlearn it, you see, because you weren't born with that particular fear. It's not, it shouldn't be part of your personality, you see. So that's what I try and encourage people to do. Then what I say to them is come up with counter arguments for the misbelief. So if you've got a behavior, someone I was coaching a number of years ago said to me, Paul, can you help me with assertiveness? Then I said to this individual, give me a scenario. And they said, Paul, I was meeting with my executive. I was in a meeting with a few other people and I didn't speak out everything I'd wanted to speak out, right? And so I'm not assertive. And I said, what is the misbelief behind that behavior? And she said, you know what my misbelief was in my mind? The misbelief I had was I do not qualify to speak at this level. That was my misbelief. Then I said to her, what are the counter arguments? See, this is where you're now unlearning it. What are the counter arguments to that lie? And she said, you know what? In my previous organization, I'd spoken to directors and they'd given me good feedback. Boom. You see, you're now unsticking that lie. Empowered. Exactly. Then, then she said something powerful. She said, you know what, Paul? Just because these guys are more senior than me in the organization doesn't mean they're more clued up. 
because I'm actually a specialist in my field and I know more than them in this particular area. So she came up with a number of counter arguments to that misbelief and it was so powerful, you see. So I say to people onto paper of the mind, when you write down your misbelief behind the behavior, okay, probably a bit similar to cognitive uh, behavioral therapy and that kind of thing. When you write it out, write it out, okay, you see it for what it is and you label it as a lie. And then you ask yourself the question, what else could be true? Very powerful question to ask. When you find that you are not suspending judgment, you're reacting, you're emotionally triggered to the whole nother topic, ask yourself, what else could be true? And then make a list of the counter arguments. And that's the first step in overcoming some of those things. Awesome, awesome advice. Yeah, we are actually at the end of our interview as time is up, I think. <laughs> um, but just to close, what, and you might have said this in the interview, but I'm going to give you another opportunity to perhaps magnify the piece of advice or insight. What is one piece of advice that you want to give out to people or insight or tip? Um, what do you, how do you want to challenge people, especially on their perspective on life? Like, how do you want to challenge their current conditioning and programming? Now, what is that one thing that you leave people with and say, go try this, go do this, go challenge yourself in this way, and it's going to elevate you or it's going to change your mind, you know? I'm looking for the anchor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you an anchor. I'm going to give you an anchor. The key thing is life is not fixed. Just because you failed last year doesn't mean you'll fail next year. Don't focus on perfection, focus on mastery. You see, when someone is focusing on trying to be perfect, trying to get that 100%, they're not really focused on the 100%. They're focused on the fear of getting 95%. And when you focus on making a mistake, you end up making that mistake. Rather, if you study the science of success, it's more about mastery. You might not be the perfect mom, but you're a growing mom. So you're not quite the mom you want to be, but you're certainly not the mom you were before. So life is not fixed, rather focus on growth. And a key aspect to growing is your personal development. Your personal development is the best gift you can give the people around you. You know, make appointments with yourself. Self-care is not selfish. Okay. Invest in yourself. You see, when you, when you look at success and successful people, whether you're Barack Obama, Jacob Zuma, Julius Malema, uh, or uh, Christopher Gill, or Paul Nyamuda. The difference between us is our use of time. I see time as a gift. We've all been given 24 hours in a day. The difference between us is how we choose to use it. And I want to use a big chunk of my day to develop myself because I'm more of a blessing to the people around me when I have worked on myself first. That's what I want to say. Mastery, not perfection. Yes, 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 yes. And yes to that. I love that. That was amazing. I think that's that was like meant for me because I like my typical limiting belief is that I'm a perfectionist. So that would be crucial for someone like me and other people who think like me, who want to be perfect all the time, you know, and it's, it's, we rather have to look at it from a growth perspective, from a mastery perspective. So I just want to say thank you for that. And yeah, uh, that, that's about it for this interview. So just thank you. Paul, for your integrity. Thank you for your unconditional you. love for others. Thank you for being a leader in your business, leader in your own life, leader in your family, and being a leader in this world. 
And thank you for inspiring us to transform our thinking, uh, move towards mastery and just be leaders in our own communities. Thank you so much for drawing it out, Chris. I loved your questions and I really appreciated them. So thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right. That's it for this episode. So firstly, I'm very grateful about this episode and very ha- I'm very happy to have had Paul on the show, as I said in the intro. If you want to reach out to Paul, just check the show notes for this episode, which you can find on my website, which is exploringpossibility.co.za. That's where I list all the questions asked, so it's easy to move between questions and navigate through the show. That's where I list all the key takeaways, so you know what to grab from that. And that's why I just speak a little bit more on the episode uh, with things that I uh, resonated with or that I caught on to. So if there's anything that you enjoyed about the show, please get in touch. That's going to be my call to action at the end of this interview. Uh, Part of this outro is to get in touch with me and let me know what part of this episode you enjoyed. You can just take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram. You can use my handle exploring at exploring possibility. Or you can send me an email at info at exploringpossibility.co.za. Or finally, you can just join the Facebook community. And that's where we will we'll be chatting about everything that happens each week in every episode so we can learn together and grow together. So just once off. And lastly, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining in. Thank you for spending some time with me. I'm really grateful for your time and really grateful that we can spend our time together and grow together on this journey. I will then see you in the next episode of Exploring Possibility. And remember, don't be afraid to explore and find the possibility.